Adult content intended for an adult audience only as this contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of this story is purely fiction and not intended for anything but the enjoyment of the listener. If you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out. Dungeons and Dicks Part 3 by Publius 68 Dungeons and Dicks, Chapter 4 A New DM A new game. Oh, I groaned, stretching mightily as I shambled through the door from the garage, more than two hours later than usual. Tess looked up from the couch, where she had her legs tucked up underneath her and a new David Weber book in her hands. I got your text that you'd be late tonight. I didn't realize you'd be this late, she said with sympathy, not criticism. I wordlessly turned to our little bar cart and poured myself a finger of scotch. I waved the bottle at my wife inquiringly. She shook her head and nodded at the glass of wine mostly finished on the coffee table. I slugged the whole glass back. I hadn't chosen the expensive single malt, set the glass back down, and moved to collapse on the other end of the couch. We got the contract early this morning. I announced with less enthusiasm in my voice than there should have been. Tess brightened. Really? That's great. Which parts? She asked enthusiastically. All of it. I groaned. All of it? Can you guys even handle that? Tess asked. No, but we are going to anyway. I said wearily. Get used to me coming home this late for the foreseeable future. And traveling in two or three day stretches every week or so. How long is the foreseeable future? Six months at best. Eight at the most. Any longer and we flunk the contract terms. I sighed. At least my group won't have to deal with the post-startup support issues. Well, congratulations again, I guess. Tess said, still supportive, but with waning enthusiasm. It really is good news. Amazing even. I smiled finally. But it'll be exhausting. I'm going to need a massage occasionally when I come home like this. My neck was killing me. That's where I always carry stress. Right now, it was groaning painfully under the weight of what I felt was coming. She looked at me and smiled. One naked massage coming right up, she said, tugging her shirt off over her head, her generous boobs bouncing free into my view. Oh, wow, I said, a stupid grin making a sudden appearance on my face. As she stood up and started pushing her shorts and panties down off her hips, I added, I didn't need naked, and I didn't mean right now. Tess straightened and cocked the hips of her naked body. Are you sure? Oh, please, yes, I said. I just meant that I wasn't asking. In moments, I was naked too and my wife was straddling my ass, sliding her hands up and down my upper back smoothly. She had taken a massage course back in her college days, and I have heard a few tales of her homework. Enough to know where she got her affinity for it. I really needed a clinical rubdown though, even if my hardening cock beneath me had other ideas. Thank you? I sighed. This whole mess really will be worth it though. I murmured. Between the commission and the bonus at the end of the year, we are maybe talking a fundamental change in our finances. Maybe something like a vacation home. Or a boat. Or whatever. Tessa's soft strokes kept up their mission of mercy, 
but I felt a slight pause. You mean like that little condo in Breckenridge? Mm, HMM. Naked massage every night, then. This deal just keeps getting better and better. She worked the muscles expertly. The only erotic elements that she threw in were an occasional, accidentally on purpose brush of my back with her nipples. Even my cock was starting to relax. I only have one real worry for us in our personal life. I said, relaxed enough for conversation now. I put my foot down about being home on weekends. I said, but I just don't see how I'm going to have the time to do the prep for D&D that I usually do. That sucks, Tess said, genuinely unhappy. I'd hate to have to take a break. I'll bet you would. I murmured slyly. You either. Tess laughed, lightly spanking my left glut. So what is your master plan to fix it? I always have a plan. Penny. Penny? Yeah. She told me that she's demed before. I intend to prevail on her sense of civic duty and extreme horniness to get her to take over and save the game. That's my man. You always have a plan. Tess cooed. I have a plan, too. You do? Yes, she said, rising up a bit and tickling my side enough to make me squirm so she could flip me over. My mostly hard cock found itself slipping along her neatly trimmed pussy. Tess reached down to it and pulled it upward. Yes, I do, she said, sliding herself down onto me. Hello? Penny Davis speaking. Penny? I said when she picked up. I had waited until lunchtime to call her from work. It's John. Hey John, what's up? I explained my situation and how I hoped that she might take over. She mused at it over the line for a minute. I didn't feel happy with the delay. I actually think I want to do it. It would be fun to pull the strings for a while. Only six months, you say? Penny asked. I hope to God, I said, letting a bit of the weight on my shoulders come through in my voice. I'm pretty busy too, but I think I can do it. Um, could we maybe change genres? I don't have any fantasy stuff to recycle in my old material, and I don't have time to set up from scratch without a couple of weeks' head start. I wish I could give you that. I sighed. I guess we can take a break for a few weeks. Fuck that. Penny laughed. I'm having way too much fun. Listen, I do have an old campaign still on my hard disk from years ago that could be tweaked pretty easily for our particular brand of role-playing. But it's a comic book RPG instead. Think everybody would be into that. Try keeping at least some of us back, more like. Sounds interesting to me for sure, I said. It was certainly true, and not just because it was a weight off my shoulders. Let's run it by everybody in the chat. Me, hey guys. I just got a huge opportunity slash even huger time suck at work and have to bow out of Dmeng for a while. Penny has offered to be the ringmaster on our circus for the next six months or so, but wants to do a comic book version. That means new rules, right, Penny? Jerry, I love it, Penny. I can shoot everybody a PDF of the character creation stuff and congratulations on the work thing. I guess. I'm down for some new adventures, Mark. I look forward to your leering goons and perverted alien tentacle monsters, Penny.Craig. I'm good to go. Tess, you know I am, of course. I'm in favor of anything that leaves at least a few hours a week for me. I'm ready for a new character anyway. Martin, I'm okay with it. Except that I'm guessing I'll be making dinner more often during the week while she plots. Penny, I'll email everybody the rules. Mark, I don't have your email. Can you all give them an initial going over and text me any questions? And maybe have some ideas before our first night. But I want to do the actual character creation together, so we can learn more about the rules while doing that she was already taking over from me. 
I actually felt a twinge of jealousy, smothered completely by my sigh of relief. We did take one week off, but still got together at the fish house to celebrate my big fucking deal. It was just a nice dinner. It continued to amaze me, when we weren't LARPing, how easy it was just to act and think like normal people. Sure, I checked out and Penny and Jerry and Tess, of course, once or twice, but no more than I would have with any group as attractive as they. It was ditto for the rest of us that I thought it made a nice reset, and resolved to suggest the odd nights off from time to time. We decided to shift the rotation around a bit to meet the next week at Martin and Penny's, since she was taking the reins of our gaming. And we started in the mid-afternoon so we could all create new characters and still have time to play, and inevitably roleplay. Since everything was new and no one had any characters made up yet, no one did any cosplay that week. Seeing Jerry at a gaming table once more without her chainmail bikini was a little disconcerting and I wondered if she'd find a way to incorporate the get-up into her new character. The girl liked that bikini, looked great in that bikini, and liked how much everyone felt that she looked great in it. That night, everyone, including her, pretty much just wore casual clothes. The only thing I noticed as a common thread was that nothing looked terribly hard to take off. We all arrived pretty promptly, eager to try a new story with new mechanics. I hadn't been a player for almost four years, and was wondering how I'd handle it, to be honest. I considered creating a character who was a manipulative schemer, just so I could keep my hand in. Penny set her campaign in the coastal city of Anchor Bay, where we would form our new super team. She decided to start us all at level three, to give us some more fun powers and because most absolutely noob superheroes didn't join teams, and certainly didn't form them. We were all going to have to come up with about 12 issues worth of backstory fairly soon. Once the campaign got rolling that I cooked up what in comics jargon would be called a brick. He was fairly strong, a bit faster than a regular human, and had some fighting skills from his days as a marine. His main power was that he was able to absorb and survive an enormous amount of damage that I called him the wall. Then I was roundly mocked for the stupid name and so I changed to calling him Jarhead instead. It was also stupid, but more hokey, so, yay. Our other basic brick was Anne's Martian, a real Martian refugee who wasn't nearly as indestructible as Jarhead, but had rage-based strength. So, sort of a cross between She-Hulk and the Martian Manhunter? Penny asked as and plugged in her numbers. Yeah, pretty much. And admitted. Kinda derivative, I know, but I've been busy this week and have not been inspired. Does she break the fourth wall like She-Hulk? Jerry asked. Fuck yeah. And replied, suddenly enthusiastic. That's a great idea. Suddenly I have inspiration. Jerry, of course, decided that her character, Corda, would be a barbarian warrior from the past, who had been preserved to the present day frozen in ice. Chain mail bikini. Check. Mark avoided both stereotype and type by refusing to play a martial artist, instead going with a wealthy inventor type who at this level did not have crazy big bucks or super-powerful armor, just a multi-tool glove and utility belt. The maker could make most any gadget he needed, given time and the contents of a kitchen junk drawer. My wife went with invisibility powers that were semi-magically based. The wisp had fairy blood in her veins, and combined other stealth abilities with her invisibility. Her secret identity as a reporter was actually more famous than her superhero identity at this point in her career. Tess actually invested creation points into her reporter side to give the character investigation slash detective abilities. For a character limitation, and in the first nod to our own particular brand of role-playing, Tess chose to say that the Wisp could not make her clothes invisible, only her body. Craig went flashy with the flare, who flew and threw fire blasts around with gay abandon, 
Martin, Cho's stretching powers. Gained as a night watchman at a chemistry plant where he foiled a robbery and saved a co-worker's life at the cost of being polymerized himself by the plant's equipment in the process. Someone had to go for stretching powers. I observed drilly. I'd say he has some pretty impressive stretching powers in real life already. And said with a completely straight face. We tended not to actually comment on each other's real-life physical characteristics, our characters being what mattered there. But Martin was the exception. There was just no ignoring that thing. Craig chose to deliver her completely deserved chastisement himself, tickling her half to death. And was quite ticklish. Noted for future use. We should do presentations on each of our characters, Martin suggested as we finished up with creation. He had kind of fallen in love with our little ritual and was always eager to do it. Nope, countered his wife. It's not the right time. One, I'd rather you guys have the next week to work up your appearances and then rework them. Besides, though you are all superheroes in the same city, you are all relatively junior and obscure, so how would you know each other enough for such a detailed description? Penny had a good air of authority about her. She'd do fine. No, let's start with an explosion in Bayside Park, loud enough and with a big enough plume of smoke to be heard or seen or both from all your locations as your secret identities. She began firmly. And we were off. Learning a new RPG on the fly was challenging, but Penny knew her stuff well enough to keep it fun, give us guidance when needed, and otherwise engaging us all through our first fight, our decision that Anchor Bay needed its own local supergroup because the city's more famous, more powerful superheroes were often away saving the larger world, and finally our bringing down of our first criminal outfit. The game system was little clunky, but it did the job, and was pretty flexible which was important to a group like us who cared more about the story than the mechanics. Much later, Tess looked up from her sheet after she had finally moved up to level 4, the last of our characters to get a new level, and looked at the clock. Holy shit, she said suddenly cross. There's like, less than half an hour until quitting time. We all stared at each other in surprise and dismay. There had been no LARPing at all. A fair amount of dirty jokes had been told. There had been leering. Tess had managed to have her character embarrassed when she had to go invisible very quickly and leave her clothes behind. But she hadn't acted that out, and there had been no LARPing of any kind otherwise. Penny shrugged. You guys passed on all the opportunities one put in tonight. After the third one, I just figured everybody was too busy concentrating on the game. That got a laugh. What opportunities are you talking about? Mark asked. Penny told us, and we looked at each other. Wow, we were focused. Mark said. My phone buzzed with a text message the next morning. I ignored it because Tess was lazily getting in some practice with her amazing oral skills, and I was highly reluctant to interrupt her when she was in training. When it buzzed a second time, Tess looked up. Get it. It might be work. Don't worry, I'll just keep on keeping on. With that I felt her lips wrap around my happy, happy cock once more. I stretched over and could just reach my phone. It was Penny, not work. Penny. Morning, Penny. I hope you are up. Me, yes. You could say that. What can I do for you? Tess kept working away, not even pausing when I told her who it was. I guessed I was having text conversations with other women during blowjobs now. All facets of my life were better than they had been in the historical past, before the LARP. Penny, I'm worried I screwed up last night, Emmy. Bullshit. That was great fun. We all enjoyed ourselves. Penny, dickhead, I'm talking about the sex. You make it all seem flow naturally, and I didn't make it happen at all on me, don't worry. It will happen on me, 
I do have some pointers. Penny. Praying hands emoji. Me. Concentrate on said pieces. Not incidental events. Penny. I feel awkward pairing people up. Seems dictatorial Emmy. If the story calls for it, go for it anyway. But ideally, I tried to just set up one person and let the others find their own way into it. Me. Beyond that, be ready for us to come up with our own ways to get into it and contribute as you can when we do. Penny. Thanks. That hopefully will be enough to get me going. I lay down the phone and gasped as Tess increased her efforts in response. It was good to be me. I grabbed the phone again. Me. Don't forget to set yourself up too, Penny. Very good advice. Halo emoji. When I put my phone back down, Tess smiled up at me as she dragged her tongue up my cock, applying exactly the right pressure. Before she could suck me back into her mouth, I lunged upward and pushed her over onto her back, diving down myself. She had been studying so hard on her skills she deserved a reward. Also, with Craig's reputation, I felt I needed some extra practice of my own. Penny watched intently as we moved our miniatures around the table, talking out our fight with the little, blue, alien douchebags. We described attacks, or in my own character's case, invitations to be attacked instead of a more vulnerable teammate. She countered with descriptions of the alien's pain in ass actions, and especially the dangerous antics of their giant yellow pig dog, Comticus, which were the only reasons we hadn't routed the aliens already. Jerry moved Corda's figure over near the Martians to help with the pig dog thing. Apparently, that was what Penny had been waiting for. I saw her smile flash for just a moment before disappearing again. I'm more real-life observant than the rest of us, so I was more alert right off the bat. Man, did that turn out to be valuable. Suddenly, the aliens seemed to have had enough. Penny says excitedly. Most of them begin to fly back toward their ship, using their little jetpacks. A beam shoots out from a large iris that suddenly opens on the hull, reaching out to the pig dog in particular. You all feel a rush as everything near the beam is tugged toward it, even the air in the vicinity. It is focused on the beast, though, which is apparently valuable enough to be the priority retrieval. It is lifted up and hurled back into the ship. The other aliens just fly in close to the beam and are sucked in as well. The beam begins to wink out as the rush of air seems to grow stronger at the end. She looked down at the map, picking up the monster's figure and examining the figures on the board as if evaluating. Corda. She muttered, rolling a die behind her screen where we could not see. Uh Uh-huh. Then she added, and Martian, another die was rolled. Penny shook her head as if surprised. Wow. Both Corda and Martian are caught in the penumbra of the beam and hurtle after the aliens like tossed rag dolls. The beam winks out as they pass into the depths of the alien ship. There was an excited and confused babble as everyone tired to react at once. Penny ignored everyone, especially Jerry and Anne, and said, The iris begins to shut swiftly. Jarhead leaps into it after them. I snap before anyone else. My preparedness might pay off. I run and dive through the entrance, shooting out an instabrace from my glove to try to block its closure. Shouted Mark. A solid beat after my quick reaction. At almost the same moment, Craig shouted. I dive quickly, using gravity to accelerate to ultra flame speed. I'm not kidding, you could hear the capitalization and trademarks. It was a shtick we were all embracing. Martin was the most out of practice at reacting, and paused. I don't even move, just stretch both arms out to grab their ankles before they are even pulled all the way in. Tess just sat back, folded her arms under her boobs and smiled in anticipation of the game's finally beginning. Penny looked at us. The swiftly closing iris will shut before more than one of you can make it through. Initiative. Called out Craig, 
whose aflame was our speediest character and should have a bonus in situations like this. He reached for his dice. Yeah, no. Penny drawled. She looked at me with a smile. Jarhead makes it through, just before the iris snaps shut. Indeed, for you guys outside, you are not even sure if he does make it through, or if his trailing foot is pulverized by the mighty alien steel. Phew. I said, drowned out by howls of protest and rules lawyering. Penny just shook her head. No, no initiative rolls. John spoke first, clearly reacting first, but interrupted Craig before Penny rolled right over him. And more importantly, John told me what Jarhead was doing. You guys all spoke in the first person. I'm told that means a penalty. Fuck, grumbled Mark, speaking for all of them. No first person was one of the rules. It was the only one we tended to break in the excitement, but we enforced it when it mattered. And it mattered here because Penny wanted to thank me for my earlier advice, I guessed. I looked at Jerry and Ann. This was some princely thanks. Asterisk the cosplay was back in full force this week, and even we guys were apparently no longer immune.ny phone dinged on Thursday afternoon. It was the emergency bears text thread with me, Mark, and Craig. I saw Martin had been just added. Craig, I'm doomed. And just showed me what she cooked up for my costume. I get speedos with flame silk screen on them and a stretch mesh t-shirt with a the flame logo she created on its front. That's all. I look like six-year-old in his underwear, pretending to be Superman. There was a pause as we all took in the magnitude of this disaster. Mark, I have been issued the leather pants I wore for Halloween two years ago and a trench coat. I am required to create a prop glove for myself by Saturday, on pain of being left at home. Martin, why am I in a text group entitled Emergency Bears, Craig? Welcome. We share memes sometimes, and talk about what our women are plotting against us. Mostly we talk about what a disaster the bears are. Martin, I'll stay. If I can talk about what a disaster the rams are, Mark, you can keep your dodgers. You are hopeless about them, but come on. Forget the rams. Adopt one local team, me, gif of Darth Vader holding out his hand to Luke, come to the dark side, Martin. We have bratwurst, Martin, maybe. Bratwurst is good, Martin. That said, I have been given a whole body, blue, stretched liquor bodysuit with hood. Me told you someone was going to end up in a gimp suit. Mark, and your fate. Oh, no longer immune, X dungeon master. Me, army surplus camo pants and leather crossing bandoliers for equipment. No shirt. Martin, ouch. Mark, told you that you needed to be hitting the gym more. Me, unfortunately, I now have only the time to hit it. Lessmartin, Penny is just wearing tight black, so she can be anything. Jerry going with the bikini, Mark, Natch.Craig, no spoilers about and now that was interesting. When the evening began, Craig and Anne were last to arrive at our place. Various texts from them about how they had burnt the food they were bringing seemed dubious. And never made a mistake in the kitchen. Tess had walked into a few raised eyebrows with her cosplay, which was just a sexy business suit with a short skirt and a high-collared jacket. Some people seemed a touch disappointed. Heh. When Craig finally pushed through our front door with his arms full of good-smelling stuff, it was obvious that what most of us had suspected was true. They were just deliberately late so and could make an entrance. She had never gotten over being third and, in her opinion, worse than the original cosplay get-ups. She had always thought her see-through ring mail and much less concealing than before Tabard had not been up to snuff in the authenticity department with Jerry and Tess. Not one guy would have had a bad word to say about her in that get-up, but that was the way she was. She was not going to be upstaged this time around. She walked in behind Craig, empty-handed. Woos, whistles, and an outright catcall from Penny greeted the Martian. 
The alien babe wore matching purple yoga pants from Lululemon, and a homemade vest with a high collar and profoundly low neckline, which hugged her high-performance curves like a Ferrari hugged a turn, and every square inch of her skin was a deep, emerald green. No one had any doubts that the color extended everywhere beneath the clothes as well. Her hair was a shade darker purple than her clothes. Tess spoke first. Isn't it going to rub off on um people? She asked softly, and grinned. Nope. See? She added, rubbing the back of her hand against Craig's cheek, leaving no mark. I got some three years ago at WonderCon. It is basically a fake tan skin bronzer, but with a green tinting. My new, unexpired tube arrived by FedEx yesterday. Thank God the makers are still in business. Yeah, I'm going to need that company's name, said Penny breathlessly. Yes, she is, Martin added slowly. I'm finally going to get my Orion slave girl. It lasts as long a bronzer? Mark asked incredulously. Don't you have to go into work Monday? I did the hair two days ago and worked with purple hair last night. Tess laughed. It got a good reaction. If I went in like this I think my tips would be epic. Laughed Anne. But no, I am not working with green skin. It comes off with alcohol. Craig gets to rub me down all over tonight. Or maybe tomorrow if he is a good boy. With vodka. To be clear, I will use gin. Craig grinned an excrement-eating grin. It is higher proof than vodka, and I prefer the taste of gin. I said nothing because, holy fuck, green skin. Anen. I eventually ripped my eyes from her and stole a glance at Jerry. Yep. She was already in turmoil at being bested in the cosplay arena. I could only imagine how she was going to up her game in response to this it was good to be alive. Jar had recovered from a brief moment of unconsciousness, he hoped it had been brief, to find himself alone in what appeared to be a spaceship's refuse filter or bin. Small rocks, human litter, and other, unidentifiable material was spread out throughout the space, doubtless sucked in by the evacuation ray. I stood up from my chair and turned to Penny. Jar had quickly looks around for Corda and Marchienne. Penny looked at Jerry and then and pointed at the floor. It is not hard to spy the two other heroes, lying splayed out atop each other on the floor, still unconscious, among the other refuse. My two friends both raised eyebrows at Penny, but walked over to the middle of the room, and lay down on her back, splayed out with her limbs in all directions. Jerry shrugged and lay face down atop her, sideways, ass pushed up in the air as she draped over Anne's midsection. Both giggled then lay still. Holy shit, were the two of them going to encourage me to play with both of them? This was great. I heard Tess chuckle behind me. Jarhead keeps his head on a swivel, seeking any sign that the aliens are nearby or coming for them. I said quickly. Oh sure, now you get all dungeon careful, said Penny snidely. You didn't think to check if the ship might have breathable air? I didn't need to, I replied sweetly. They didn't use breathing apparatuses, so if they can breath our air easily, we should be able to breath theirs. Don't poke the dungeon master, dear, warned Tess. Penny shrugged, not wanting to get into it with me right then. She did shush Tess. You hear or see no signs of a general alarm. They may well not have even realized that any of you got on board. A certain amount of debris seems likely to always get sucked on board, and you are sitting in the filter. To give extra credence to that idea, you realize that almost everything in here, including Corda and Marchienne, has been immobilized with an almost invisible net of webbing, probably to secure any large masses from shifting in flight. Shit! Are we flying? I asked Penny. You can't tell. The whole ship seems to shudder slightly every once in a while for no discernible reason. But I can move, I asked.
Why? Penny shrugged. Maybe because you came in under your own power, and we didn't? Jerry put in. Shush, we are unconscious. And scolded. No, it's okay. Penny said. Let's say that Corda and Marchienne have awoken and discovered that they are quite effectively immobilized. Against Marchienne's angry strength. And growled Dom angrily. Looks like it. Or at least it is strong enough to resist as much strength as you dare without pushing Corda through the web like garlic through a press. Hey, let's not try that. Jerry put in hastily. Dada walked over and bent down over the extravagantly sexy pile of womanhood. He's going to risk touching the webbing carefully. It seems to adhere to them, but not to Jarhead's fingers, Penny said. Easy girls, I'll get you free somehow, Jarhead said, taking his time to drink in the sights. Thanks, marine man. It good to know we can count on team, Corda said in earnest, silver-age comic dialogue melded with primitive speech. Lots of exclamation points were the order of the day. Yeah, added Marchienne, who was lying on her back and could see Jarhead's roving eyes. But maybe a little less looking, and a little more figuring? He tugs at the webbing a little. I said absently to Penny, eyes still downward, as Jarhead ran his hand over Corda's upthrust ass, pretending to pick a little at the webbing covering it. Corda cleared her throat at the touch, but also wiggled her ass. You find that if you rub carefully enough, you can massage it free of them, about a centimeter at a time. Once you get it free, it seems to stop adhering. Penny said softly that I finally looked up to give her an appreciative glance. A deeply appreciative glance. All right, girls, I think I can free you. Just be patient, Jarhead said. I hope this won't be too uncomfortable for you. Just be gentle, Jarhead, Corda said softly, afraid. Can you believe this shit? I wonder if it was the writer or the pencil artist who draped the two of this out like this, Marchienne said, lifting her head and talking to the players not involved in the scene. Corda and Jarhead did not hear, or course. Jarhead began with Corda's bare feet rubbing one, then massaging his way upwards smoothly and gently, slowing as he reached her upper thighs. He paused as his fingers reached close to her tasty bits, and I asked Penny, How much of their bodies are covered by this stuff? And is it between them? Every square inch, Penny said gleefully. Oh, and they are adhered together, too, come to think of it. Terrible, Jar had murmured, as he massaged between Corda's legs very thoroughly. She sighed happily. I had a thought as Jarhead undid the snaps closing the crotch of the bikini. Penny? If I undo her clothes, does the webbing come away with the clothes, or stick to their bodies? Uh, Penny mused, caught off guard. She decided to follow my lead. It is much easier to remove the clothes than the webbing itself, and the webbing comes away if you loosen or remove the garments. Well, isn't that convenient? The crotch of her chainmail bikini opened. I took another moment to caress her utterly bald lips. Corda hissed happily, but stayed in character. Oh my! That's swell. But didn't sticky stuff go away with armor? Jarhead chuckled. I'm just checking for any stray strands that work their way underneath. I'd hate for you to feel an unfortunate tug. He reassured Corda, before moving to work his hands up her other leg. They were such powerful, shapely legs. When he got back up to her tight, powerful ass once more, he massaged every exposed centimeter free of the netting, then unbuckled the side of the chain mail bottom. Both women chuckled at this dot he worked the male garment free of Corda's hips and from between them both, leaving her body naked from the ribcage down. At least Jerry had not insisted on claiming Corda was bushy down there, so we all did not have to imagine that she wasn't shaven, like we did with Frenoria. Jarhead could not resist leaning down to kiss gently at her lower back. 
Corda could move her legs now and they wriggled with pleasure, and then whittled harder once he was unable to resist gently licking up the base of her spine. Well, would you look at that, Penny said. Seems like human saliva is a solvent for the webbing. It practically melts away under a tongue. All three of us looked over at her. She smiled. We were welcome. Martian looked up at the group again. See what I mean? I hope the barbarian comes before he licks her completely free, or I'm going to have to lie here, alone and still glued to the floor while they fuck themselves silly. I snorted at that. Not likely I'm leaving you out of this, and Jarhead did, however, lick his way around the outlines of Korda's bikini top, then gently worked it free as well. I was honestly not sure if naked Jerry bent over a top and was actually an improvement over chainmail bikini wearing Jerry bent over a top and... Bullshit. But I hope you get my point. I slowly get free. Thundered Corda enthusiastically. Lick faster, marine man. That's what she said. Laughed Craig, to General Merriment. I'll admit that Jarhead didn't quite lick every square inch of Corda's sleek barbarian form, but he gave it a good try. He even made sure that all the parts covered by the bikini were free of any stray adhesive that might have worked its way underneath. Corda wanted me to check between her legs once more, but Jarhead really wanted to get to freeing and as well. She had quite good-naturedly lay there while Jarhead molested Corda, and I wanted to, well, Jarhead wanted to molest Marchienne too. He began to run his tongue down under Corda and between her and Marchienne, staring with her hips and ass, naturally. It was a lot of fun licking into the tightly pressed together flesh of Corda's breasts and Marchienne's flat stomach. Don't come home tonight with a green tongue. Tess caroled with laughter. Don't worry. Craig chuckled, and I looked up in time to see him drape that long tongue of his out for inspection. It was normal colored. See? It doesn't transfer. The audience may have been laughing, but Jarhead was getting back to work. The rest of freeing Corda did not take long, since no one was interested in me lingering over the less exciting bits like her arms. At last, Jarhead tugged her remaining hand free, and Corda sat up languidly. Freedom feel good. Getting freed felt better, she uttered in her primitive dialect. Then she wrapped her arms around Jarhead and kissed him in enthusiastic thanks when her hand slid down his bare chest and found its way into and under the waistband of his camel pants, he broke off the kiss and put a hand on her wrist. She did not let go of his cock. Ah, uh, Corda? We still need to free Marchienne. Jar had said, though not with much conviction. Corda looked down at the fuming green alien. Her? She comfortable. We free her later, she said, hands still moving inside Jarhead's pants. Horny bitch, Marchienne said to the crowd. Now that I don't have to worry about killing her accidentally, I rip my way free of the webbing with all my anger strength, so I can kill her intentionally. She added, turning her head toward Penny. You struggle mightily, but even your strength is not enough. Penny says. It's good tech. See? Jarhead said to Corda. Marchienne is not comfortable. I like your ideas, but maybe I should free her first? Corda reluctantly removed her hand from his pants that I exchanged a quick grin with and as Jarhead looked down at Marchienne, trying to work out how to have the most fun freeing the alien. Because Jarhead meant to have as much fun with it as he could manage. Did aliens have green tan lines? Then the ex-marine paused. He looked down at the alien, then back at the barbarian warrior, and smiled. So, Corda, he drawled in his rural accent. How's about you help me lick our teammate free? Both women looked at me wide-eyed doubt we had dabbled here and there with two of one sex and one of another, but it had always been where the two had not really interacted with each other much, except for Penny and Anne's first experience with me. And that had just been a kiss. I was suggesting a major escalation. 
I'll be honest here, I had wanted to see something like this for a while. I sensed that maybe this had been part of Penny's plan, since I was pretty damn sure she'd have been down for it had she been there on the floor with me. And I was happy to find a time to push it where it was both not my responsibility, and my wife was not one involved, since I still had absolutely no read on her opinions on the subject. I did wait for an answer, as I wanted to avoid anything uncomfortable. They could easily still laugh it off. For my part, Jarhead was tugging off Maritan's shoes and then kissing his way up her exposed flesh to the hem of the yoga pants at midcalf. Corda and Marcian looked at each other, and everyone, including me, kept a close eye on them. Suddenly a smile flashed between them. Uncertain, but a smile. With a shrug, Corda said, Sound fun. I help. Hope you know taste too good, alien girl, or Corda eat you. That brought gales of laughter for most everyone, except Jerry, who had not really meant to say what she had. Marcian looked up one last time. I don't know whether to be turned on or terrified. Whether that was Marcian breaking the fourth wall that time or just in talking, I neither knew nor cared. I started to run my hands up the silky, tight fabric of her purple yoga pants, but then decided to leave them for later, and maybe for Korda? Instead, Jar had moved up to lean over Marcian's incredibly green face. He looked down on her and said simply, Sorry it took so long. Working together, we will have you free in short order. The alien looked back up at him. Not too short an order, I hope. She said softly. Jar had decided to start with Marcian's mouth and face. He even checked carefully inside her mouth with his tongue. A marine learns to be thorough. You know that he suddenly felt Corda's face next to his, and her lips pushing him gently aside to kiss Marcian's lips in turn. It was delicate at first, but was hotter than hell in seconds. Jar had just grinned and worked his lips and tongue down to the base of the green throat, tonguing the hollow there carefully. Only I could hear the two of them whispering to each other, under cover of making out. What now? hissed Jerry. Up to you, replied a much more confident-sounding Anne. If I taste good enough, you could carry through on your promise. Jerry snorted, then looked incredulously at Anne. Are you serious? she hissed, and kissed her again. I saw lots of tongue, from both of them. It wouldn't be for the first time for me, either way. Jerry giggled, then goggled. Oh my god, Mark would die. Craig will die too. And replied, and I noticed that she did not employ the conditional. If you do it right, I'll sort of die as well. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Corda just kept staring at Marchienne's bland expression and very flushed face. Jar had just moved lower, knowing his input was either welcome, nor wise. Besides, he was eager to bury his face in all that green alien cleavage and work the front of Marchienne's vest over with his hands in anticipation of peeling it open and free. Why was he freeing her chest first, not her arms and hands? Because that is the way he wanted to do it. Just as he was about to start picking open the few buttons on the front of the purple vest, Jarhead felt Corda suddenly shift and flow past him, to kneel between the alien's spectacular thighs. The barbarian reached out softly hesitantly stroking at Marcian's still-clothed hips. You want some help peeling her free down there? Jar had asked. His goading seemed to snap Corda into action. You peel your own hide. She snapped. I peel mine. But she waited for Jarhead. He freed those three buttons swiftly, and gently spread open the front of that vest, revealing two of the absolutely best-looking green alien tits since the invasion of the Moon Babes. Wicked Awesome Tales, Issue 132 I got a good laugh narrating that, cut off with a gasp as I could not resist just fucking going to town with my lips on her nipples inspecting for stray adhesive. 
It was harder and harder to let the story play out without just flat out indulging myself instead. Then I paused because Corda tugged decisively down on Marchienne's pants, lifting her ass swiftly, then tugging them free with none of the careful peeling that we had established was needed to remove a garment. I was not the only one getting tired of story over action. Corda's sudden burst of energy abetted as she knelt, staring Marchienne's surprisingly human-constructed vagina in the um face. She reached out tentatively and slid a hand up the emerald inner thigh, pausing at the top. Biting her lower lip, she ran her hand gently over the soft mound, the hair on which and had also dyed purple. I tore myself away from Anne's amazing breasts and sat up on my knees to watch what would happen, and was obviously watching intently too, and she and Jerry exchanged an intense look. Then Corda's face fell, her expression now hungry but afraid. Corda not sure she can do this. She stage whispered. Marcian just smiled. Just try it, barbarian. I'll coach you if you need it. There were hisses of anticipation from all around us, and I could see Jerry gather courage from the attention. I stole a quick glance at Mark and Craig, who were both about to die of having their eyes explode. Corda looked around swiftly, then bent her face down near between those. But then she hesitated again, and lifted her legs and wrapped them gently around Jerry's shoulders. Marchienne lifts her legs and entraps the barbarian, pulling her downward with just a trace of irritated strength, she declared. Jerry let her pull her down. I had not realized that Marchienne had been holding her breath, until she let it out with a long sigh as Corda began to kiss her sex. The barbarian's hands uncertainly curled up under the alien's thighs, lifting them up, bending her knees. Her fingers uncertainly caressed the outsides of those legs as she kissed up and down between them. Oh, nice, sighed Marchienne. Tongue now, please, she said, with an anticipatory gasp. It was replaced by one of delight. Oh, fuck yeah. That will do it. I might have been the only one close enough to hear the soft, wet sounds coming from between them. Nice, but slow down. There you go. The coaching continued. Jerry quite obviously knew what needed to be done down there, but Anne's encouragement was helping her do it just right. How deep can you go? She asked, her voice suddenly needful as if her arousal had just ratcheted up a big notch. For a span, Corda worked away and Marcian just lay back and groaned happily. Jarhead suddenly realized that he was sitting there, staring down at those beautiful green tits, exposed and just begging for more attention. But as he bent to resume his own small enhancement to the alien's experience, she instead turned to him. This is an amazing rescue, but it's missing something. I'd like a little more, and I'm betting you would too, Jarhead. She ran her pink tongue over her green lips. Give me your cock. She almost hissed. The only problem with that offer was that I was pretty sure I was about to be very distracted from watching Jerry munch her first rug. But Jarhead is an accommodating guy, so I slid off his bandoliers and lowered his camos to his knees. Marchienne pushed herself up onto her elbows and leant toward him. Yes, she had to move her arms a little to do that, and they were still supposedly held down. Get over your continuity error hang-ups. He shuffled forward to the offered lips and she flicked her tongue across the tip with a single, erotic caress that sent shivers through him. Hey! exclaimed Corda, lifting her head. How is she able to teach me with your club and mouth? God bless Jerry, she could stay in character under the damnedest circumstances. Please get back to work. Marchienne practically begged, thrusting her hips up toward the barbarian. You are doing amazing. With that, she bent and proceeded to demonstrate some amazing of her own on Jarhead. Her lips sucked tightly around his throbbing helmet, and she moved her head, sliding him in and out of her mouth, his cock nestling against and sliding along her active tongue. Okay, listen. 
The look of that beautiful green face, and those emerald lips clamped around and sliding along my cock was an apex nerd fantasy, right up there with a hot chick in a chainmail bikini. I knew the three of us were providing a spectacle. The other five were getting their money's worth. But for perhaps the only time, I was not registering being watched. I was not even paying any attention to the bicurious cunnilingus taking place two feet away. I just saw those green lips. That said, Jarhead did not instantly come, like he feared he might. As skilled as the Martian herself was, she was really very distracted by the barbarian's efforts. The three heroes went along like that for an amount of time that none of them could identify, but soon Jarhead's cock slipped from the alien's lips and she threw her head back in a keening wail of delight. Whatever Corda had just done, she did again, in spades. Martian just wailed and wailed in exquisite agony until she collapsed back flat on the floor, panting. Jarhead looked down and realized that she was spent for a bit, even though Corda continued to tease and kiss her below. He looked at the exquisite barbarian. He slid around and out of his camos as he moved. His rough hand stroked that naked, upturned, sleek, little backside while he positioned himself kneeling between both her thighs. He lowered himself down and let his cock rub softly against the Corda's perfectly smooth pussy. She made no move other that to contentedly rest her face between the alien's still quivering thighs that he entered her. She stiffened, and murmured a happy sound as he buried himself in her wildly hot and eager interior. Despite his desire to start slowly, the situation overwhelmed his restraint, and he was almost instantly slamming into her. She pushed herself up and free of Martian's crotch and groaned loudly as he slammed into her. The two of them grunted and groaned at the sudden, fierce fucking. Now, our usual ammo was one orgasm maybe a simultaneous pair, and we moved on. I was indulging myself a bit by extending the LARP, but no one among the watchers seemed to be restless. And my cock was not going to be denied its own eruption. As Jar had thrust into Corda, she began to crawl up over Marchienne, kissing her way up the alien's bare stomach and chest with each mighty thrust of the superpowered man above her. He followed her movement, staying with her. In fact, as he noticed her movement, he began to thrust hard enough to push her along. In. In. In, he thrust, both of them sliding upward until Corda's lips met with the aliens and they began to kiss, and kiss in earnest. Because Martian was taller than the barbarian, Jarhead found his balls brushing against the sodden crotch of the green goddess underneath them both. Corda screamed, her body jerking and undulating in the sandwich between Jarhead and the alien. He kept pumping into her until he felt her go limp, and then he had an idea. Sliding free of her tight confines, he shifted his hips and lowered his cock to the recently assaulted opening of the alien, and slid himself in. She had not been expecting that, but it was obvious a welcome surprise. Jarhead's thrust resumed. Corda realized that her hips made for a difficult angle for her teammates, and she scrunched her butt higher, twisting her neck to keep on kissing Martian. That little shift helped and I could slam into the green woman more comfortably. There was no way on earth that Jarhead, superhero or no, was going to last any longer. Holy fuck! He gasped, as his whole lower body spasmed and he unleashed a torrent into the alien's depths. Involuntarily, he kept thrusting, and as a sequel eruption burst into Martian, the alien also moaned once more, rolling almost desperately to the side and toppling the sexual tower of bodies over. All three flopped to the ground, gasping for air. I just wanted to lie there, wet dick flopping in the breeze and all, for a minute while I reassembled my utterly exploded mind and body. The heaving motionlessness of my scene partners showed they too needed a minute, or five dot but fucking penny, evil glee in her voice, suddenly spoke. The ship lurches, harder this time, 
and the PA comes on, apparently all over the entire ship. Fuck this caper, and fuck this stupid planet, and fuck these fucking fuckwit humans. Listen, my crew, we are getting out of here no matter what. The squawking alien voice of their leader blared. That flaming idiot had welded landing gear three to the ground. In thirty seconds, I am going to jettison the strut, and we will be free. At that moment, dump the garbage to reduce mass, and we go to light speed in three seconds. Secure for crash acceleration. Let's go find some easier planet to rob. What do you do? Penny asked. Fuck, growled Jerry. I guess we are going to escape. I shrugged wearily, not wanting to be bothered. We were in the garbage, after all. We'd be ejected. Our costumes, exclaimed Anne. We'll be thrown out of the ship, naked in front of the whole city. The three of us lurched to our feet and grabbed our outfits, while Penny just merrily counted down to our departure point thirty seconds is actually a pretty long time to get dressed, unless you are rushing madly, half your clothes have gotten balled up when they were removed, and you are still exhausted and in a sexual daze that we just made it, probably because Penny had mercy on us and slowed the count at the end. You know you've given the watchers a good LARP when everyone just stares at you. Craig looked jealous as fuck at me. I grinned back. Martin and Mark looked at each other, shaking their heads. You people know how to stay in character, was all Martin could say. He was still having a hard time with that. Sometimes he was brilliant, top of the class, sometimes he made it hard for everyone else to stay in character. Penny was beside herself at how well her first real setup had gone. I grinned at her and shot her a thumbs up. Jerry and Anne also gave nods of both congratulations and thanks. Tess just stared at all three of us, eyes wide. I sat back down beside her and went to give her a quick kiss. The lip and tongue assault she replied with almost resurrected my cock. Almost. When she released me, she smiled, then got that plotting look on her face. I sensed that Penny was about to be tested by some player-driven improvisation dot we wandered around the battlefield of Anchor City's Bayside Park. The fire department's hazmat team was calling Washington to send a squad to collect the alien landing gear for research and security. Reporters buzzed around, demanding interviews. The reporters included Tessa's the Wisp, visible and in her crisp, stylish business suit, employing her secret identity of Claire Kensington. It was fun watching her pester Martin's malleable man with weird questions about his stretching powers. Experience points were handed out, but no one leveled up. We decided the characters should break up and go home, until they were needed once more by the good citizens of Anchor City. I think Penny was about to call a break for refreshments. I needed a beer, that's for sure, but Tess spoke up. Um, as we all go our separate ways, Claire Kensington wants to further her investigation of malleable man. She uses her stealth and follows him as he sneaks back to his home. Where does he live, Martin? Martin? Penny asked. I, uh, I have a small house on the east side of town, in a middle-class neighborhood, but not in the suburbs, Martin said, improvising fast. I, I mean, he was able to pay it off after the accident with the settlement from his supposed injuries. His secret identity is, or pretends to be, disabled. Oh, so we're moving directly to the next LRP. You go Tess, my lovely, horny wife. When he actually reaches his home, she makes a quick note of the address, then prepares to investigate further. Tess said. With that, she stood up and unbuttoned the suit jacket, slipping it off to reveal nothing whatsoever on underneath. Her hand slid up her backside slowly, making a bit of a production out of it, then slid down the zipper in back of her suit skirt. It slid to the ground, letting everyone know that she wore nothing below it either. So much for thinking that her cosplay wasn't stellar-level sexy, 
I thought at the others. A super well-cut suit on a woman with Tessa's figure is sexy enough, but why you find out there isn't a stitch underneath? Obviously, the wisp is now invisible. Tess told us all. Obviously. Martin replied under his breath, eyes stuck to her body even more than the rest of us. He did appear to be the target, after all. You find malleable man, standing in the middle of his small living room, thinking about the crazy events of the day, and speculating about what happened inside that ship. Penny said, shooing Martin to go stand up near my naked wife. He had noticed when they were ejected that Jarhead's pants looked like they might be on backward, and Marchienne's vest was not fully buttoned. Martin stood there, obligingly cupping his chin in a hand in a thinking pose. Silent and invisible, the wisp steps into malleable man's living room. She is fascinated by him, his powers, and his silly outfit. Tess said, earning a small sound of protest from Penny, the costume's maker. She walks around him slowly, examining him. She wonders if he ever unconsciously uses his powers in his day-to-day life. She began to walk slowly around Martin, letting her body sway as she did so. Hey! She hissed at Martin, who had turned to watch her as she moved behind him. She's invisible! Quit watching her! Sorry! Martin winced. I'm going to get this LARPing down yet. I'm sure you will! Murmured Tess. Martin, you are in for it now. My wife was usually a go-with-the-flow type player but when she decided to take control, she was about the most assertive of any of us. I had just been part of a showstopper. I sensed that she wanted to even things up, at least a little. She stood just a foot behind the pondering malleable man, and the wisp stage whispered in his ear. What are you, malleable man? He started in surprise and spun around, seeing nothing. It was actually a pretty good piece of acting for Martin this time. Naked Tess was right in front of him but his eyes did not focus on her a Herculean feat of restraint. M.M. looks around, startled. Martin said. Tess tiptoed around behind him again. Can you reshape your body, or just stretch it? The voice whispered again. Martin spun around again. Um, I just stretch, for now. I hope to learn to shape sure. Wait. Why is he answering these questions? Malleable man drops into a fighting crouch, looking for a potential attack. Tess slid past him again this time trailing her fingers very briefly up and over the bulge that was definitely growing beneath his spandex uniform. Does your body stretch, reflexively? She asked softly, sultrily. Emmon blushes at the question, Martin said, momentarily covering his crotch with his hands. Then he straightened, letting them fall away again. Wait, malleable man said slowly. Wisp? Is that you? You are Claire Kensington? He looks around speculatively. What are you doing? I just have a few follow-up questions from our interview. The wisp replied softly. I am curious about how your powers affect your body's autonomous actions. When you take a deep breath, does your chest inflate? I... I'm not sure it's that simple. Malleable man said slowly, then his eyes widened and he stiffened, in more ways than one. Wisp, you are invisible. Does that mean that you are naked? In my living room? The wisp slid close lifted one of malleable man's hands and placed it briefly and gently on a wonderful, soft breast. I saw his fingers twitch and begin a caress, but she slipped swiftly away. Tess danced softly around behind Martin again. Yes, I am. The invisible woman whispered in his ear. But why? She stepped up to stand right in front of him, as slid her hands up and over his chest. Her fingers found their way to the zipper that ran up the whole front of his suit. With a tug, she began to lower it down. I'm particularly interested in the effect of your stretching powers on your erection. 
she said huskily as the zipper drew lower and lower. Martin shuffled his feet uncertainly. Aye, well it, uh... See for yourself. Malleable man stammered, falling silent as the wisp tugged the zipper the last bit down and his goddamned huge junk sprang free, stretched to its impressive full, and not a bit malleable dot here's the thing. Since Martin and Penny had joined us, Tess and Martin had locked only two, no, three times. And they had fucked every time they played together. No oral. It was a bit as if things were holding off for a big showdown between our queen of cocksucking, my wife, and Martin of the enormous rod. I felt certain that that showdown was finally about to arrive. I could tell from the body language of several in the group that they too had come to the same conclusion. Could Tess take him all? It suddenly occurred to me that she had not deep-throated anyone since Martin's endowment had made an appearance. Not even me at home. I wondered if anyone had really told either Martin or Penny about the true extent Tessa's real-life superpower. I hoped not. The wisp says, oh my, and kneels down to very closely examine this penis that could only be the result of stretching powers. Tess chuckled, matching action to word. M.M. growls as he feels the sudden warmth of breath on his cock from the invisible source. Martin replied. I'd like to see this in all its states, not just erect. The wisp mused. Shall I take steps to make it soft and malleable, man? Oh, I think that's a marvelous idea, he breathed in reply. I'd certainly like your investigation to be as through as possible. It really is a huge dick. It is at least eight, and probably nine inches long. I'm not into dick at all, but I had gotten quite used to getting an eyeful of various ones that weren't mine in this wonderful new world in which I was living. It was particularly hard not to get an eyeful of Martin's. It was thick and as deeply tanned as the rest of him. The huge, long, blue vein that snaked up its length pulsed powerfully enough that I could see the vibration from my seat less than eight feet from where my wife was about to put that in her mouth. I had thought my cock thoroughly exhausted for a while, but it clearly was not going to miss commemorating this occasion with a hard-on of its own. The wisp set out on her task slowly, stroking softly at the matching enormous balls, and leaning in to lick her way up his extent in tiny, criss-crossing, swift strokes of her tongue. Malleable man shifted on his feet succumbing to the tease. His head, thank goodness, was no larger around than his girthy shaft, and when she reached it, she took her time kissing, licking, and outright slobbering on it, leaving rivulets of her saliva dripping down all around his cock. She lifted her hand from his sack and began to run it up and down him, the caress lubricated by her hungry drool. Malleable man shivered as she stroked him. When he was completely soaked, the wisp parted her lips and let him slide between them. He moaned happily. She began to bob slowly, gently up and down, letting two or three inches of him slide in and out of her mouth as she went. Her pace of pumping him with her hand increased and she bent further, sliding fully half of his massive cock into her mouth. He gasped out I felt Penny lean forward over the table and lightly punch me on the shoulder. She's amazing, she whispered. I can never take nearly that much. An odd congratulations, but I took it out I also exchanged sideways glances with Craig and Mark. The show had yet to begin. None of us knew how it would end, but we knew it was on. The wisp completely withdrew malleable man's elongated cock from her mouth and resumed licking and kissing it while her hand pumped steadily, even entreatingly. It was not long before Martin began to show the signs of that old, delectable discomfort. He was close, and that is what Tess had been waiting for. The wisp opened her mouth wide and slid it down and over that cock once more. She bobbed slowly deeper choking lightly but once as she went. Then she seemed to reach a point of inflection, 
and suddenly the rest of him slid smoothly between her lips until her nose pressed gently against malleable man's nest of pubes. She undulated there, her supple red lips clamped around the very root of his meat that I simply stuck out my hands to either side, palms up. Hilariously, it was Anne and Jerry, not Craig and Mark, who slapped them in congratulations. Martin and Penny both simultaneously exclaimed, What the fuck? Well, Martin groaned it almost incoherently. If Tessa's lips could have curled in a smile, they would have, but that was not currently an option. I could see her throat working around malleable man's dick. She bobbed twice more, then slid him all free to gasp for air. Then, after but a moment, he was back in her mouth, and she was sliding him deep once more. It was much too much for the hapless stretchy superhero, and with a roar of warning, he helplessly came, his hips twitching forward, fucking the wisp's mouth and sliding the rest of the way into her throat involuntarily. She took it all with aplomb. She grabbed his ass and held him in her, struggling but succeeding to swallow. They held there, frozen as he gasped through an extended orgasm, and then she leaned back and pushed him away, gasping for breath. His cock dangled, already softening, spit and jizz dripping from its tip. Her eyes glistened with tears of effort and her drooling mouth curled upward in triumph. God. Damn, said Penny softly. Everyone else was silent in appreciation. I desperately need a beer. I said at last, breaking the tableau. The wisp rose and kissed malleable man, pressing her naked form against him briefly. She might have swallowed most of his powerful offering, but from his reaction, she still had enough her mouth to make sure, as was her method, that he tasted himself in that kiss. The plentiful hand towels that were now de rigueur for our group were grabbed and Tess wiped her face before picking up her suit and sliding into it. She left the jacket open for a while as she went and grabbed a beer for me and a glass of wine for herself, only buttoning it up after sitting back near me and enjoying a long sip of her drink. The show-off. She is so fucking awesome. Food was in order, and we all fell on the stuff we had brought with gusto. My second beer disappeared in a heartbeat. I grabbed a plain seltzer next. We still had an hour or so to go, but I wanted to drive home. Tessa's and my post-gaming sex was going to be even more epic than usual. Our next battle took place downtown, against a giant monkey escaped out of a local genetics lab whose stockholders should probably not expect a dividend any time soon. The highlight of the battle had been when the damned monkey had broken the giant, beautiful bronze statue of a sailing ship that stood before City Hall. Snapping off at its base, the hundreds of tons of bronze had toppled, nearly killing the obligatory kindergarten class that was nearby. They would have been doomed, were it not for the power and resilience of Jarhead, who took the falling blow on his own nearly indestructible body. It had nearly killed him. The wisp, not even naked at the moment, slipped in and tripped the monkey. When it fell, Corda, malleable man, and a very angry Martian, there had been a uniform tearing incident due to the monkey, beat it senseless for a final defeat. The flare and the maker contrived to not only lift the ship back upright, with Jarhead's help, but they welded it securely back into position. The maker even added a rotational mechanism as he guided the flare's welding efforts, and the statue now rotated serenely at a steady point seven RPM. That was a nice touch, Mark. As the dust settles, a huge black Rolls-Royce limousine pulls up to the scene, Penny announced. A very posh and stiff-looking chauffeur steps out and approaches the maker and the flare. Gentlemen, he says, my employer, Mrs. Van Welk asks that you meet with her in her office at Harcourt Mansion. I am to provide transportation. Will you step this way? He stares at you expectantly. Who is Mrs. Van Welk? Craig asked suspiciously. She is the widow who inherited the Van Welk shipping fortune. 
quite the philanthropist and a bit of a frequent mention in the society pages, though as a hostess and benefactor, not because of her own social life, unfortunately for her. Penny informed them. Craig and Mark looked at each other. And grinned. Getting separated from the group was usually a precursor to one or another of the separates being asked to take center stage. Both guys instinctively stood. You pull up at the huge pile that is Harcourt Mansion, in the heart of the wealthy district of the city. The old money part. Grambling the chauffeur shows you inside and opens the door to a large office, well-appointed in magnificent antiques. He closes the door behind you. The desk is gigantic and sturdy, but the computers on it are neither large nor antique. They look to the maker's eye to be custom jobs with more advanced tech than is commercially available. Mrs. Van Welk looks up from her work and smiles as you enter. She rises gracefully and rounds the desk to approach you. She is not the dried-up old prune you figured from her reputation. In her early forties at the most, probably younger, she has a trim form that fills out her Chanel suit, certainly a couture original, appealingly. Penny giggled, walking forward toward both guys. Her expression is welcoming but serious. Gentlemen. The widow Van Welk greeted them in business-like tones. I am so glad you could come. I observed you and your team's latest endeavor on behalf of my city with great interest and admiration. She says my city like she owns the place. Penny added in an aside. It's only about 37% true. Thank you, the flair said. It's always nice to be appreciated. The flair could not help but flirt with anything that wore, or ever had worn, a skirt. It was his central character trait. Of course, she replied, ignoring the overture entirely. I asked you to come see me because I would like to make an offer of assistance to the Bulwarks. Penny broke character again. Guys, we have got to come up with a better name than that for your supergroup. Please? Don't choose your superhero team name at the end of the night after an extra beer for everyone, or you will end up with an asinine name like the Bulwarks. An offer of assistance to your team. The woman repeated, omitting the name. Every truly proper super team needs a headquarters to meet, refit, monitor the city, and in some cases live, correct? I am prepared to offer you the use of Harcourt Mansion as that headquarters. You want us to move in with you? The maker asked curiously. Of course not, she replied dismissively. I am just finishing the construction of a new, completely modern home to the south of the city. That is why the mansion is becoming available. That is exciting news, the maker said, grinning doubtfully. Um, we are a self-funded group, and I don't know that we could afford, well, rent. Shaw, the widow said dismissively. I am first and foremost a philanthropist. I, of course, desire no rent, and will support the team and its headquarters to the extent of expenses and repairs to the inevitable damage this old house will endure over future issues. I mean years. She smiled almost cutely. Everyone laughed at the slip. To be honest, since I was a little girl, I've been a fan of superheroes and their deeds. I had twin posters of Blaster Man and Brightwing over my bed throughout my teenage years. I find this to be a marvelous opportunity to work with and observe such a promising new team of superhumans at work. She smiled brightly at them. Then she cocked her head. Of course, she said, her voice dropping a touch lower as she walked around them. Then she stepped behind the maker and the flare, her comparatively diminutive form nestling close in between them. I would not be adverse to enjoying that observation and cooperation as up close as we can arrange. Her hands grabbed both men's asses, cupping and squeezing them aggressively. Craig and Mark grinned again. Of course, the maker said quickly. Close cooperation and observation are the hallmarks of our team. The flare agreed, 
letting his own hand casually reach back and down to grasp Mrs. Van Welk's tiny, pert ass. He jerked slightly when he found that the maker's hand had beaten him to the pinch. The two of them glared just a little at each other over Mrs. Van Welk's head. She disengaged from both of them with a light laugh as if nothing had happened. I'd love to take you on a tour of the house. The ballroom would make an excellent meeting room. We can design a properly heroic big table for you to sit around and plot strategy. That is what super teams do, isn't it? She stepped over towards some bottles. Of course, I should take you on a tour of the whole house, the kitchens, the gymnasium, the bedrooms. She trailed off, looking back at them. Penny picked up the rose bottle and shook it. Shit. I really want a sip. I'll grab the bottle. Hang tight. As she dashed toward our kitchen, she called back. Anyone need anything? Only Anne replied, lifting her empty glass. Bring the bottle. Both Mark and Craig watched Penny go. The old saying, I hate to see you go, but I love to watch you leave, sprang to mind. Mark leaned over to Craig. So, is she going to just choose, or will we have to roleplay some kind of competition? If we are competing, sucks to be you. Craig said in bro fashion, and stifled a quiet snort of laughter. I caught Tess and Jerry rolling their eyes at each other. I was with the ladies. This was not going to go the way my buddies thought. And they were probably not going to regret it. I looked at Martin. He looked serene, but his foot tapped gently on the floor. Sorry, guys, everybody. Penny announced, bustling back from the kitchen. I got so caught up game mastering that I got behind on my drinking. Let's fix that shit. She added, brandishing both of the remaining bottles of rose. She cracked one and poured herself barely a splash which she didn't even drink. She was a tricky one. Had she been eavesdropping? Come this way, Penny said in Mrs. V's sophisticated voice, curling her fingers up in a follow-me gesture. You enter the ballroom. She went on, turning around by my pool table and leaning back against it. There is a huge wooden table in the center. Of course this is hardly the splendid table I have in mind for you all in the long run, but it is quite sturdy for the interim. I imagine that Marchienne could pick it up and do some real damage with it to a foe, without even breaking it, she adds merrily. Mrs. V braced her hands and hopped up to sit on the edge of the table, right over the middle pocket on the side facing the group. Anyone want to help me test its structural integrity? She asked in a mixture of society grace and open invitation. The maker and the flame shot glances at each other. The flare spoke first. Of course. Such an exciting offer as you have made to the team deserves quite the thanks. I'd love to indulge your. I have a more direct and scientific plan to comprehensively test the structural integrity of the table. Interrupted the maker. I'd be excited to run those tests with. The two of them started to talk over each other, both having a good time, and flailing about an earnest attempt to top each other's lame-o comic booky pitches. The funniest part was that since they both had been playing too much D&D for several years now, their arguments kept getting peppered with the occasional forsooth, or my lady. Penny was eating it up, grinning at both of them. I did suppose that it is nice to be wanted, but she didn't let them flail for long, just long enough to give the rest of us a chance to smile at the antic stop missus. Van Wilk smiled and held up a hand. Heroes, please. I hate to see you argue. I may not look like much, but I assure you, there is more than enough of me to go around. Surely you don't mind sharing? As she said this, she tugged the stretchy black top she wore over her head and tossed it aside. Her beautiful, braless breasts bounced attractively free. As I have said, they are the only thing about Penny that isn't tiny. They aren't big either, but they sure look that way on her petite frame. Like Martin, she clearly tans in the altogether, leaving her mams golden, bronze, and delicious. 
Her nipples tilt upward with the natural slope of those tits, and are just slightly off-center on her pinkish orioles. Not only were her nipples as hard as I had seen them yet, but she was covered in goosebumps all over her flesh, but especially in an irregular ring surrounding each engorged button. She was very into this little scenario she had cooked up for herself that I had told her to make sure to do that. The gorgeous philanthropist stretched her arms out wide in invitation to both men, sticking her chest out as she did so. Both guys hesitated. They knew what she was asking for, but this would be a new wrinkle, and they shared a glance, then both stepped forward, each to one side, and leaned forward, each kissing a nipple. Kisses that rapid escalated to hungry suckling. On her petite frame, their heads were clearly uncomfortably close together, and it was amusing to see them try to figure out how to get their hands on Mrs. Van Welk without getting them on each other. She wrapped her outstretched arms around their shoulders and caressed them each as they nursed. Oh, that is very nice, gentlemen. She sighed in her fruity, upper-class accent, then fell silent for a bit as they worked to pleasure her. Her hands rolled across their shoulders and into their hair, pressing both heads against her chest. Then she finally straightened and shrugged her nipples free of their protesting lips. Her hands now slid down their stomachs to palm the bulges in their pants. My, are these both for me? Mrs. Van Wilk exclaimed, as if surprised. Why, thank you. Penny hopped off my pool table. Not just Craig and Mark, but all of us watched as Mrs. Van Welk slipped the elastic waistband of her form-fitting pants downward and stepped free of them, leaving her fully naked. Her steps took her further from the table, weaving her way between and around the maker and the flame. Her hands caressed them as she moved wordlessly, and they each tentatively brushed her curves in turn as she came and went from their reach. Penny was making quite the production of this, and I for one was loving it. I shot a glance at Martin, and I caught the familiar look we guys tended to have when our wives were LARPing. Excitement, hunger, pride, and just a touch of insecurity at first, the two superheroes brushed their fingers only across her breasts, her chin, and her waist. But as Mrs. V kept moving between them, the flare let his hand slide from her waist downward to cup and squeeze her tight, tiny, but perfectly shaped ass before she slipped out of his reach. As she moved between the two men, the maker's hand ran down her belly and caressed the patch of intricately trimmed pubes they encountered. She kept prowling, into and then out of reach of the flare once more, but turning to keep facing the maker as she orbited around him. His hand slipped down further and between her legs. We all could see her shiver slightly, but she kept moving, back toward the flare. As the inventor's fingers slid free of her body, the fire-logoed man's hands grasped her ass once more, sliding swiftly down between her legs as well. Unable to contain himself, the flare pulled Mrs. Van Welk's lithe form hard against him, fingers now burying themselves under her. She melted into his arms and pulled his head down to her for a kiss. Tongues lashed one another audibly. The maker bowed his head and stepped back, acknowledging the wind with a somewhat frustrated grin. But the little woman spun around gracefully, pulling her lips free of the kiss and the flare's hand free from her crotch. She leaned her naked body backward against him and pulled his hands up to her breasts but then she pointed at the maker. You, she said, a note of authority befitting a billionaire in her voice. I'm going to need you up on my desk, she said. That caught both guys by surprise, but when they both froze, Mrs. V gestured again, imperiously. With a puzzled grin, Mark took two steps and demonstrated his goddamned infuriating athletic agility by smoothly vaulting up onto my pool table, managing to land gently on the surface. Graceful as the maneuver was, I still winced. He better not tear my felt, I though grimly doubt Mrs. V flowed out of the flare's embrace and leaned over the edge of the table. With a grin, 
She reached out and tugged at the fly of the maker's tight leather pants pants that were much tighter than normal at the moment. In a flash, his fly was open, and his long, hard cock was waving in the air before her eyes. From the moment I first discovered blowjobs, Mrs. V sighed. I've wanted to suck a superhero's cock. One hand braced her on the table's surface, the other came up and massaged the penis before her. Her tongue extended, lashed across the tip, then she gobbled it into her mouth, bobbing swiftly from the start. The maker's head rolled back with a groan of happiness, and he ran his fingers through her elegant coif. She had pushed herself up on tiptoe with her left leg, while her right knee was lifted up and braced on the edge of the desk. This left her taut little ass thrust out toward the flare and the rest of us. Her pussy was laid out in our view, glistening with moisture and beginning to flower open on its own. Craig seemed unsure what to do, wait his turn, or sit back down since Penny had made her choice. This left him standing there in front of us, staring on in equal fascination. Mrs. Van Welk waggled that ass as she sucked, then did it again. With an almost exasperated sigh, she let the maker's cock slip from her lips and she stole a look over her shoulder at the flare. She shook her ass again and growled demandingly. Don't you have something to get on with? The flare, if anything, froze even more still for an instant, and while he made no noise out loud, you could practically see the thought bubble over his head with. Now, in fancy lettering, the paralysis lasted but a second. Superheroes are men of action, of course. With a hasty step forward, he knelt behind their new patroness, grasped her thighs, and buried his face between her legs. Mrs. Van Welk's head popped up with a gasp of pleasure. Not what I meant. She crooned in ecstatic surprise. But you do, oh fuck yeah, what you need to do. She took the maker's cock back into her mouth, but the smooth rhythm of her philodia was utterly wrecked by the flare's lingual assault. The maker was bemused by the strange new situation, and seemed happy to relax and enjoy things for a while, turned on unbelievably but also weirded out and hardly appearing to be rushing to a climax. Mrs. Van Welk was a different story. She tried so hard to keep up her attentions to the dick in front of her, but the efforts between her legs had her on the edge almost immediately. She stopped sucking and began feverishly kissing the head of the maker's cock, moaning louder and louder, until she gasped deeply and screamed in ecstasy. Her extended left foot bounced up and down, off and on her toes, as she growled and groaned in turn. As the wave began to abate, she panted happily, simply cuddling the cock in front of her against her face. That was marvelous, the melodious, sophisticated voice panted, leaning into the upper-class sound of the accent. Thank you, she went on, in that same fruitily aristocratic voice. But the idea was for you jam your super cock into my now sloppy cunt and fuck me senseless. Get on with it. Penny could stay in character, I'll give her that. And Mrs. Van Welk had a potty mouth on her that was for sure. Craig could also stay in character. In seconds, his stupid-looking speedo was being kicked free of his ankles and he was lifting her up against the edge of the pool table. The flare's dick rubbed against the woman's almost desperately receptive pussy and slid in a single, slow, trembling thrust. Mrs. V moaned happily and began once more to devour the maker's dick. Tess and I traded wide-eyed glances. As game master— Penny was willing to do a lot more concrete direction than I ever had as dungeon master. And her ideas for what to do were looking like some next-level stuff for us all. Tess was transfixed, though not, I was thankful, in fear exactly. She for one had had a fairly vanilla evening, even if it had been massively impressive. I was pretty sure that she was trying to picture herself being spit-roasted like this, and further, trying to decide if she wanted to do it if presented the opportunity. Craig and Mark also seemed to be just a bit unsure of themselves. 
both were careful not to look at each other, looking anywhere but, in fact. Craig was facing away from all of us, and seemed fixated on Penny's ass, not an unreasonable fixation. Mark's eyes roved around, looking at everyone but Craig, being naked and active with a girl at the same time as another guy had heretofore been on my no-thank-you list, but I was fully aware in the moment that I would have happily tagged in for either of my friends at that moment. My dick was certainly begging, put me in, coach. My courage, however, was telling me, better them than me. My common sense told me that I could get used to it, given enough opportunities. Both her legs were off the ground and kicking gleefully about, as the taller superhero held her tiny hips up in the air to fuck her. Despite the steady shaking of her delicate little frame, Mrs. V was now much more in control of her oral efforts, despite the flair's best efforts behind her. For his part, he was already shuddering on the brink. I'm going to come soon, he growled, and pumped even harder. In response, Mrs. V only yelled at him to drive harder, and she jacked the maker furiously, rubbing his throbbing cock all over her tongue. It was the latter who actually came first. With a gasp of warning, he ejaculated a thick streak of white across Mrs. V's cheek, before she could react, but then she slobbered him back between her lips in time to capture all remaining production. The flares desperate, now almost uncontrolled railing into her from behind drove her mouth down over Maker's cock, and she choked lightly, drooling half his production down and off her chin. Mrs. V seemed to come once more, slamming her hips back against the taller superhero, and he quite obviously nudged an answer his back arching spastically as he almost whined with release. The three froze in that tableau for a moment, the flare still buried in Mrs. Van Welk from behind, and cum and saliva drooling out around the maker's cock in her mouth. Finally, they unwound the menage, the flare stumbling slightly backward and slipping free, then Mrs. V sliding backward and turn off the edge of the desk and finding solid footing for the first time in a while. The maker moved to get down himself, though his eyes widened at the pool of saliva and semen between his knees on the top of the wooden table. Mrs. Van Welk elegantly picked up her glass of wine and raised it to the two men. To making this fangirl's dream come true, my heroes. After a long sip, she added, and to a long and fruitful endeavor together. I look forward to meeting each and every one of your teammates, as time allows. With that, Penny drew the corner of her eye across the rest of us. All of the rest of us. Oh boy. Mrs. Van Welk the superhero groupie was going to be a recurring character. I was strangely eager to hear what my wife had to say about that later at home. Mark sat back down, outfit restored. He looked at me nervously. I had never seen any of us actually look that worried that they had fucked up during a LARP. That'll clean up okay, right? I looked at my pool table. It had better. As I've said, Mark could turn me into a man-shaped bruise in about three moves. But that shit had better come out of my felt. I decided to let her bring it up. By the time we got home, well, it was getting to be a habit of ours to not make it thirty feet and pass the garage door. When we had finally peeled ourselves off the kitchen desk, our initial resting spot that night, and made it through a quick shower with a minimum of grab ass, minimum, not none, we fell into the bed, my face buried happily between her curvy thighs, and Tess was starting to ramp up in earnest, when her phone caroled a text tone by her bedside. It wasn't her generic tone so it must be someone she knew. Tess only rolled her head back against her pillow and groaned, momentarily relaxing from my assault. Now, she groaned, then ran her hands through my hair, pulling me back toward her again. She knows what we are doing right now. Why isn't she doing it too? Ah, one of our friends. Answer it, I said, letting her pull me back in. Now, she laughed sharply. Bad enough you were texting during a blowjob recently. 
Maybe that's our thing now. I said, voice somewhat muffled. We catch up on our text during oral. Ha ha. I just lifted my face from her loins and jerked my head at the phone. She tried to push me back down, but I resisted, grinning, and jerked my head at the phone again. Oh, all right. She grumbled, one hand scrabbling for her phone, while the other, successfully now, pushed my head back down to work. M. White tongue had no more slid back into her depths when she gasped, jerked upright in the bed, pulling away from me again. Fyuk. She breathed, her face a horrified smile. What? I asked, not sure if I should be enthused or afraid. Look at this. I rolled over and sat up next to her to read her phone over her shoulder. Penny, hey girl. I'm kind of freaking out about earlier, and want to be sure on things before next week's game. Are you down if I set you up like I did myself tonight? Tessa's jaw worked, not sure how to answer. I leaned in to kiss her ear. If you are okay with it, I certainly would not object, though I definitely want to be one of the guys sharing you at some point. Oh shit. Tess mumbled, not ready to deal with the idea, though she seemed comforted by at least some part of my response. What do I say to? Her phone sounded again. Penny, or how about what I kinda got Jerry and then to do? Tess shrieked in an adorable way and buried her face in my shoulder. For my part, I couldn't help it. I was busting a gut laughing. She started poking my in the ribs with a hard fingertip irritably. Well, if you want my opinion. I started to say, still laughing. Shut up, perv. Tess replied sharply, but at least prepared to have a little fun with this. You just want to see it because all guys dream of lesbians for some fucking reason. Not. True, I said firmly. Some guys do, I'll admit. But mostly, we lust after bisexual lesbians. We want to be able to be apart, after all. She shook her head and texted back, being considerate enough to let me see. Tess, at this moment, I'm saying no to both. But should the pervert who was giving me such wonderful oral until you distracted him has his way, I'll let you know differently. Tess, if Penny, sorry. Shame emoji, Penny, I feel like I made Jerry, especially, uncomfortable. Tess, don't worry too much. We all have shown our ability to deflect what we don't want before. Penny, too much. Penny, tell your pervert that I'm finding that GMing this LARP stuff is harder than it looks. My hat. Bra is off to him. I snatched the phone from Tessa's hands and swiftly texted. Picks or it didn't happen. She shrieked and snatched her phone back, shrieking again when she saw what I had texted. Tess, that was John, Penny, ha. Tell him we aren't playing right now. The next Saturday, we arrived at Craig and ends for the game a few minutes early. I had not, contrary to her darkest expectations, spent the week lobbying Tess to try embracing her inner bisexual. I think that actually irritated her. If she wanted to, she would decide to on her own a lot faster than if I pushed it. For my part, I was mostly, when I thought about the game at all with my newly crushing workload, thinking nervously about how I was not consulted on my willingness to get LARPing with another dude. We all stood around the kitchen table, having a drink and running down the week's events in our lives, just as we usually did. No booze tonight? Jerry asked him, who was drinking LaCroix peach seltzer from the can. How long are you taking the cure this time? and was a professional bartender, and it was an occupational hazard that she drank a lot. About once a year, she'd feel like her liver needed a vacation, and she'd go on the wagon for a few weeks. I'm not sure, she said slowly. I'm hoping less than a year. She rummaged around in her purse. A year? Jerry followed up, incredulously, and liked her beer and wine, and found what she was looking for and took it out to show us. It was a birth control pill blister pack. She rattled it. 
Two pills left. I'm not refilling. We all stared at her. Then suddenly, the women were all hugging her, and Martin, Mark, and I were slapping Craig's back or giving him the business. I know you've mentioned it here or there, Tess said. I guess we all have. Why pull the trigger now? We are not sure. But Wednesday morning, Craig woke up and said let's do it. I just knew exactly what he meant. Craig just shrugged. We saw Rob and Alice last Sunday. They have a one-year-old. Maybe I got jealous. I just think he was having a hard time sleeping with my biological clock ticking so loudly. And grinned. She overrode our general laughter with a firm voice. That said, starting next week, I could theoretically be fertile. Unlikely, but possible. But, she trailed off for a second. While that is the case, a certain activity will be off the table for me. Oh no, Mark said softly. You guys aren't going to play? We were all aghast at the thought. We still want to play, Craig interjected hastily. Just, no one does the full-on horizontal bop with Martian except the flare, at least until production is well and truly underway. Oh, yeah, that was definitely going to be the hardest and fastest of all the rules, going forward. And vice versa, Craig added firmly. Hey, baby, and said quickly. We never discussed that. Fair's fair, he said, and kissed him on the cheek warmly. You are sweet, baby. But I don't expect that, and frankly, I don't want that. Look, Craig said. That's for worrying about next week, okay? They stared at each other for a moment. Then Craig looked at the rest of us. Tonight, I just want to have fun foiling whatever this Dr. Mysterious Sinister plan is. Martin and I exchanged a glance. We both clearly realized that we had just witnessed the edges of the world's most bizarre marital dust-up. Shit, grumbled Penny. What's the matter, Pen? Tess asked. My whole plan for tonight is out the window, at least for the LARPing stuff. Why? Nothing's changed tonight but ends premature sobriety. Hey, I just want to get into practice. And said. What has changed? Penny said, her grumpy face turning sly. Is that I'm pretty sure the reason you guys told us this week instead of next is that and wants to be the bell of the ball tonight. It was a crazy night, and tons of fun. Penny had a great plot for Dr. Mysterious, and that delicious plot line remained ongoing at the end, and then had indeed been the bell of the ball. Craig got most of the attention as well, on the guy's side, just in case he ended up winning their little argument. Every time things got slow, and the conversation wandered beyond the game, it tended to swing back to ends impending project dot. So, once you are sure you are on your way, things go back to normal? Penny asked him, while Craig and Tess were getting themselves back together after he had been using that magic tongue, and Mark and Martin were getting more beers for everybody. At least until I get too fat and ugly, and said a little apprehensively. Oh, you're going to get fat, I said calmly, but never ugly. Flirt, Tess scolded, sitting down again next to me. Accurate, but a flirt. Those of us with drinks raised them to an... Later, after Anne's second spit-roasting of the night, she was a voracious bell of the ball, she, Martin, and I collapsed back into our seats. Tess looked at Craig. We haven't seen Rob and Alice in ages, not since the baby. Don't tell us we are going to lose you after the baby comes. Maybe until the baby is weaned. Craig answered uneasily. My parents are adamant that we hire an au pair, or at least a regular nanny or sitter so we have time for ourselves, and to keep the kiddo from becoming too clingy. We'd like to use that adult time for Saturday nights. It might get awkward on our nights to host, though. And piped up, exhausted but smug as a cat with a dead canary. So don't host, Jerry put in. 
I'd feel really uncomfortable about that, Craig said firmly. Gotta hold up our end if we are going to stay a part of things. Yeah, but mommy, why does daddy have his pee-pee in Mrs. Davis's mouth? Might get a little awkward, laughed Penny. That drew a laugh, but a slightly awkward one. So we just don't LARP on Craig and ends week to host, I said firmly. I, for one, would far rather miss out on a week of LARPing here or there, especially when we still get D&D, than I would want to lose you guys' part in our collective lives. That got general and enthusiastic approval from the rest of us, along with blushes from Anne and uncomfortable modesty from Craig. It was a settled issue, at least until Mama Hormones and Daddy Doting set in after the blessed arrival. Then we would see, I thought apprehensively. And of course, even if it did work out like that, the whole situation raised a host of different, but parallel what-ifs to ponder, for the rest of us. Shocking as it was, when we got home tests and I did not instantly fuck, probably for the first time since Mark decided Renault would fuck the shopkeeper's wife. Instead, I just put my arms around Tess from behind and we stood there in the living room, me nuzzling her gently on the side of her neck. They are going to do it, Tess said softly. Yeah, was all I said in reply. We stood there, silently thinking. My hands rested on her belly. She pressed them softly against her womb, and we thought. The End This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Visit the other channels for more stories with a different focus. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out.